There are more questions than answers. Like, is it possible to mistake schizophrenia for telepathy? I hear you ask. Hi, America. Hello, world. <laughs> My name is Adrian Lee, and I am your host. Welcome to the show, More Questions Than Answers, the only paranormal quiz show anywhere in the world. Each week, my guests and I will search the world's newspapers, websites and TV shows just for you to bring you the very best in paranormal talk radio entertainment and enlightenment. We will then test each other's knowledge of the week's events of the mysterious, <laughs> strange, supernatural, <laughs> unusual, bizarre and just plain weird. I love this show. I love this show. If you've just tuned in especially to hear the show, then I admire your taste. If you've just tuned in by accident, then I admire your luck. I am huddled under my quilt with a large flashlight and a nice cup of tea with tonight's guests, somewhere in the barren wildernesses of the Midwest Plains, with the sound of my elderly mother snoring distantly from the room next door. She never lets me down, that woman. So snuggle under your covers, turn out your lights and hold on tight. The rules are very simple. Points will be awarded randomly for being interesting and for making me laugh or shiver in horror. Extra points will be available for shock and awe value. To help me control my rowdy panel of recidivists and reprobates, I will employ what I have called the inappropriate bell. An example of this would be... The panel have no idea what's coming, and I have no idea what stories they have for tonight's show. So let me start by introducing our guests. Firstly, the mysterious and ethervescent Heather Morris. She's been a paranormal investigator for many years, with her own team called Hellhound Investigations, and does all of her best work in the shadows. She is now one of the leading audio and DVP experts with the International Paranormal Society, and brings her knowledge and research skills to tonight's show. Heather's motto has always been, give 100% which makes blood donation very difficult. <laughs> Welcome to the show, Heather. Hello. Hello. Nice and loud. Coming through. I also wish to introduce the mad and crazy Michelle Corrie. Michelle was born in Moira, Minnesota, and is a keen and avid interest in all things paranormal. Michelle had a theft in her herb garden this week. She thought, no way, where's the time gone? <laughs> Welcome to the show, Michelle. Thank you. 76 is a proud, well-adjusted number. The country of 76 was pleased with his Olympic medal haul. This is Series 2, Episode 76. 76 is colloquial American parlance referencing 1776, of course, the year of the signing of the Declaration of Independence. Little is known of the protest by a group of dogs in 1772, known as the Boston Flea Party. 
Oh, I'm here all week. 76 is a brand of Conoco Phillips gas stations. Founded in 1932, the name referred to independence, but also the octane rating of the gas. They said on the news this week that if gas prices get any higher, we would see something totally unprecedented. People actually walking. (laughs) The 76ers are a professional basketball team based in Philadelphia. What does a basketball player do when he loses his eyesight? He becomes a referee. Do you know what a Miami Heat fan does after his team has won the NBA Finals? He turns off his PlayStation. I just want to say, I know absolutely nothing about basketball at all. I had to look them up. Haven't got a clue. One team gets the ball, goes up the other end and scores. The other team then gets given the ball. They go up the other end and score. And it goes on like this for an hour or so. And it's the last team to score before the whistle's blown. Yep. This is where I think we are. We did a fantastic investigation this weekend, by the way. This weekend nice just segue. passed. Well, I'm, <laughs> I'm not quite there yet, but I'm just prefacing it. I don't want to shoot my bolt too early, but the investigation we did... <laughs> The investigation we did in the basketball gymnasium, I will talk about in literally three minutes' time. So I'm going to have to keep you waiting on that one. I've got the mailbag to read first. Excellent. I I love love reading out. I do too. Every week we get all the letters, all the emails, all the posts on Facebook. I love reading them out. Kevin, regular listener, of course, in Minnesota, has posted, Stop picking on Heather. Her accents are spot on. Oh, yay! (laughs) Thanks, Kevin. He still persists with this, despite highlighting (laughs) two weeks ago his narcotics dependencies. He's still happy (laughs) to go with this. We love you, Kevin. Michelle from New York says, I love the show. You are the best. Many thanks, Michelle. We appreciate your support. Yay! Suzanne, we seem to be doing very well in New York, apparently. Yay. Perhaps it's our sense of humour. Suzanne, also in New York, has written, Thank you for writing your Christian psychic book. You have helped me beyond belief. Oh, great. If anyone else is interested in being helped beyond belief, how to be a Christian psychic, what the Bible says about mediums, healers, and paranormal investigators is available on Amazon and all good bookshops. Martin, also a regular listener, has posted, and from New York, I might add, Paranormal Movements. Isn't that the cause of sewer pickles? (laughs) That'll be phantom. Phantom sewer pickles, I believe. Fantastic show once again. So many thanks to all the people that write in. We love reading your comments out for a couple of minutes at the beginning of the show every week. If you wish to post comments, if you wish to look at tonight's stories, get involved with all the chat. We have a Facebook site, More Questions and Answers. With Adrian Lee, we have over 5,000 followers on there. You can access us on Twitter, Adrian underscore Lee underscore tips. That's T-I-P-S. That stands for the International Paranormal Society. We have currently 82,000 followers on Twitter. We have a YouTube channel if you type in more questions and answers with Adrian Lee. We have some gloriously funny outtakes, I've been told on there. So you're welcome to listen to those. And my Christian psychic book, I've also read out three chapters, completely free of charge. There's not much in this world that's free. But if you go onto YouTube, there are three chapters, Meditation, Stones and Crystals, and Healing, and you can listen to those as well. We have archives. We have 190 countries listening to us at the moment. Over 100,000 
hits on all of our archives. We are on SoundCloud. If you go to soundcloud.com and search for MQTA Radio, all of our shows over the last three years are on there. You can listen to them in the car. You can listen to them while you're at work, walking the dog in the gym. We're also on iTunes, Stitcher, and TuneIn Radio. So Why would I walk the dog in the gym? Because you're lazy. <laughs> <laughs> You're sat there with a cigarette and a gin and tonic whilst the dog's on the treadmill. You're looking at the readout thinking, wow, the dog's lost 300 calories. Excellent. As Done you, for today. As you reach for the second cigarette. Unbelievable. Now, this weekend, I did tease people slightly. Okay. Not more than three minutes ago, mm-hmm. I did tease them. We went to the Edinburgh Manor. Yeah, we did. This is in Iowa, mm-hmm. in a place called Scotch Grove. This is our investigation with the International Paranormal Society yep. last weekend. I know how much people love listening to our investigations and the evidence that we get and gather on those. This was a building. It was built in 1910, but the poor farm was actually built there originally, and they were working the land back in 1850. If anyone doesn't know what a poor farm is, it's almost like social security, but back in the 19th century. So if you were lazy, if you didn't have a job, if you're on hard times, if you'd lost your house, if you were widowed, for example, in the Civil War, you could go to the poor farm. They'd give you a little room, but you had to work the land. You had to basically work with the animals. You were self-sufficient is where we are. If also you had some low-level mental disabilities like melancholia, I believe. If you were perhaps depressed, if you were suffering from very minor mental ailments, they'd also have you in there as well. But anything too serious, of course, in terms of mental illness, and you'd be placed in a more secure unit, which I believe was called independence, ironically. Uh. No irony there. But this was a poor farm. You may have heard of this place because it's been on Ghost Adventures. Yeah. I believe, if my memory serves me right, episode one, season seven of Ghost Adventures. I don't know. I didn't watch it. Well, I watched it because I just wanted to see. I wanted to be prepared for the investigation. If there was anything <laughs> anything that was going to jump out on me, anything that was going to happen, perhaps look at the history a little bit. Yeah. I wish I hadn't have done, to be honest. Nothing, <laughs> nothing happened. A motion sensor went off for the Ghost Adventures in the laundry room of right. this building. And they screamed and ran around a lot. And the ovulus at one point said the word Jim. And they managed to squeeze 45 minutes out of that. It was remarkable. We was in there all evening, of course. We set our cameras up. We do our baseline tests. We do our walkthroughs. We then do our vigils, which last an hour each. And we have a plenary or a discussion between each vigil. We were there to the early hours of the morning. We didn't get away till about five, six o'clock. The Ghost Adventures team spend days and days, weeks in these buildings and come away with an ovulus saying, Jim, an emotion sensor moving. We were in this building from 7 o'clock in the evening to maybe 5 o'clock in the morning. And we had more evidence than I've ever received, I think, on any investigation ever. We could have made three TV shows. I wonder what these guys are doing. What are they doing when they're doing these investigations? First of all, it's a really miserable building. It used to be an institution, of course. So there's rows and rows of dormitory beds. There's shower rooms and there's a, a bath and various, I guess you'd call them day rooms. Right. They do have a padded cell in the basement, but I think that was more for people that were harming themselves more than anything else. Yeah, but it I certainly so. wasn't a lunatic asylum, which no. is what Ghost Adventures and many of the YouTube 
films have been made mm. about. It and wasn't, they were bad. They were very bad. I'm not about mm. to bash people on air, but yes, they were particularly grim and they don't reflect no. paranormal investigating in any way, shape or form. But I just want to run through, because I know our listeners like this. I was in the laundry room and on Ghost Adventures, this was the room where the motion detector went off and the guy screamed and ran around like an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> There was so much moving around down there. It's in the basement. This building's been abandoned for a very long time. There were frogs and toads down there with their own little ecosystem jumping around all over the place. There was more crickets down there. It was their own little well. It was their own ecosystem. There was crickets which were being eaten by the frogs. There was this whole little well going on in the basement. There was more stuff jumping and jiving and moving around down there than I could possibly imagine. It was like a witch's paradise. Yay! (laughs) Everything a witch would ever want. So he was in the laundry room. And that's why the sensor went off for those guys. I'm sure of that. There's just a lot going on. Oh, the motion sensor, Mm. sure. Absolutely. One thing happened to me that I don't think's ever happened before. We often come across cats and dogs in spirit. We've seen ghost cats. We felt ghost dogs. We've had their presence come through on our equipment in the past. I'm sat across the room from Scott, who's our lead investigator, and he's based up in Superior. And Scott said to me across the laundry room, in the pitch dark, in the Edinburgh Manor, in the bowels of the building, with jumping frogs and crickets everywhere, he said to me in the darkness, I think there's a dog in here. I think I can feel it brushing against my legs. And I said, well, I'll get the FLIR, the thermal imaging camera, and I'll take some pictures and I'll look through the thermal imaging camera and see if I can see anything. Lo and behold, I turn this device on, I put it on the cold setting so it filters out everything else and just shows cold spots. So it has a series of filters on it. I pointed it at Scott. There was a dog, a blue dog, because blue represents cold, right? There was a blue dog standing next to Scott as he's sitting down. And I said, put your hand out. I said, put your left hand out a bit lower because you could actually pet this dog. I can see it on the thermal imaging camera. I've got a series of photographs of the blue outline of a ghost dog and Scott petting it. I know, it's amazing. And he said, I can feel it, it's cold. So I've never seen that on any TV show. I've never seen that in any evidence everywhere. I've got photographs and I'll post them on our More Questions and Answers Facebook site with Adrian Lee so you can all see them. But I've got photographs of Scott petting a ghost dog on a thermal imaging camera. It's quite remarkable. The other thing I wanted to mention is that back in the day, they had the women in one half of the building and the men in the other half of the building, and never the twain shall meet. Right. So when I walked around the building, we do walkthroughs. And what we do is we go around with our equipment. And what we're basically looking to do is to see where we want to investigate, because these buildings are huge. They're massive buildings. We could spend months in there doing every room. So we've got a limited amount of time, a limited amount of investigators, Where are we going to set up the cameras? Where are the rooms that we can get the best contact with the dead? And I walked up to the second floor, went into the woman's dormitory as a psychic, and I just felt sick to the pit of my stomach. There was so much energy in that room. My stomach knotted. I thought I was going to throw up. And I thought, there's so much energy in that room. Let's do a vigil. Let's put some IR cameras in that room. And I think Brian, we have a psychic on our team, Brian from Rochester, and he went up there and said the same thing. He said, yeah, I can feel it too. Scott, who claims to be a brick in terms of psychic. (laughs) That's true. He's our tech guy, but he's a psychic as a brick. He came down and said, I could feel that too. 
And I shook him by the hand and said, you've been on the team for six years and you've now become a psychic. And that was the moment. <laughs> I looked at my watch. It was half past seven. I got the time, the date and everything. The moment Scott suddenly became sensitive. Oh, osmosis. I know. It's hanging around with us. That does happen, actually. If you I want know. to improve your psychic skills, hang around <laughs> with other psychics has uh, helped me in the past as well. The interesting thing was we sat in that room. We sat there doing a vigil. And I sat looking down the corridor. I mean, amongst all the beds, all the cabinets, all the cupboards. It's pretty miserable. It's an, it's an asylum. for It's for the poor is what it is. A right. poor house. I could see on my thermal imaging camera three humanoid figures in blue walking up the corridor towards us like the three graces from greek mythology yeah they were coming towards me they stood in the door i said to scott there's three people standing in the door and in the vigil before me brian said the psychic that he thought there was three women up there right eva mary and gloria were their names so the psychic said there was three women i've now got three figures in the women's dormitory looking at me on a thermal imaging camera yeah over my left shoulder i had a gentleman on the team called josh and he had an sls camera and an sls camera if you've seen the shows on the tv looks of points of articulation and you get little stick figures appear yeah due to emf electromagnetic fields it pins them all together like little stick figures he saw the same three figures on the SLS camera over my shoulder. So we're going to be able to superimpose the thermal imaging of the three cold humanoid figures over the top of the three SLS figures that came through on that camera, Absolutely. which is remarkable. Two bits of equipment, empirical evidence, backing up everything that's going on there. So that was remarkable. I've never been in a building, I don't think, where I've heard so many disembodied voices. I heard women talking all night. There was women laughing, people shouting. There was so much going on. Actually, yes. you can hear with your own ears. It's going to take me weeks and weeks to go through all the evidence and play some EVPs, perhaps next week's show. Yeah, I might have we a few. We can play a few. Heather, what did you think about the Edinburgh Manor? I loved the Edinburgh Manor. Um, I, I wish we could have spent more time there. There are EVPs that I'll be able to bring to you next week, but as far as the disembodied voices... We weren't getting anything on audio recordings. I might see if I picked up a couple. And of course, we've got IR cameras with audio as well. I'm sure somewhere we've picked something up somewhere. Just see what I mean. Oh, one of the interesting bits where we were actually in the men's section and we were in, I think it was the community room. I called it the toy room because there were lots of beds and lots of toys in there. And Adam had the SLS camera at that time. He was shocked to see this figure come out of the wall. It crawled across the floor and then stood up right in front of him Whoa. and he's got that recorded on video so we actually have a little clip of whatever it was crawling across the floor to him and then popping up in front of him and i i don't know if i might have done a dude run at that point <laughs> he was very brave <laughs> he, was. he didn't move out of his seat or he run did around not. did he <laughs> There was so much there. Scott's also taken a picture of a shadow figure, and I'll post that on our Facebook wall as well for people to see. There wasn't a member of our team. He actually took a picture with a full-spectrum camera of a shadow figure just standing there in the female dormitory. But there was so much going on. Poltergeist oh activity. I leave little red and white fishing bobbers everywhere on yep. door handles, on stairs. So if spirits move through, they're top-heavy, and the smallest amount of breath or movement just knocks those bobbers over and wherever I am in the building I can hear them bouncing right, downstairs. Right, yep. One of them I placed on a handrail. I turned around to place another trigger object fishing bobber on the other side of the room 
Before I'd even got there, the bobber had launched itself off the door handle. I've recorded that on an IR camera as well. That actually happened to me in the basement. Things moving around, poltergeist activity. I placed a bobber on a table. I took five, six steps away, and all of a sudden it went flying off the table. The dog went after it. It was just like, oh. (laughs) We did used to bring trigger objects for cats and dogs, didn't we? Do you you remember? Scooby snacks. Scooby snacks, yes. (laughs) I love that. We We have come across dogs and cats in spirit before, and in our box of tricks... We carry with us trucks full of equipment. We're like Aerosmith going on <laughs> tour right. when we when we roll up at these buildings. But in amongst all of that somewhere, there are some dog trigger objects and some catnip yeah. toys and things like that. There so that's are. always quite fun. But I will post those. Very briefly, that wasn't the end of our investigating, was it? No. We ended up in a small town in Iowa, in the middle of nowhere. The town was called Viola, which yes. is a great name for a town, isn't it? Mm-hmm. But the town got unincorporated, so it doesn't exist anymore. Right. And there's a school, an abandoned school. I've been into some derelict buildings in my time. Over 20 years, I've been in disused warehouses, disused factories, abandoned schools. I've been stuck in the bottom of a hull of a cargo freighter from the 1890s up to my ankles in oily seawater with peeling lead paint and asbestos everywhere. That was pretty grim, wasn't it? It was grim. Almost bordering on dangerous. There was floors that you would just walk into and you could see where all the floors had collapsed into one another and ended up in the basement. We called one room the horticulture room. Do you remember? (laughs) Because there was no no roof on the building and seeds had blown in and then it had rained. So on the top floor, there was plants growing all over the floor. floor. (laughs) (laughs) There was two Japanese soldiers I found thought the war was still on. That, True it, it's the type of building where you'd want to be updated on your tetanus before you oh. walk into it. It is a fabulous building. Oh, love it. I mean, it. it was built in the love 1920s, it. and it's a high school. Yes. But it's not been used for some time, and the lady was very kind to very. let us in. Her name was Heidi. She's a fabulous mm. woman. I want to thank Sarah and Adam as well from Sea Paranormal in Iowa whilst we're here. But that was an interesting building to walk around. But oh, we absolutely. Did, we did get some activity in the gymnasium of all places. Yes. The rainwater had got in, all the floor was crumbling. You know, you was walking across the floor and boards were giving way and it was yep. pretty grim in there. But we did get some activity in the gymnasium. All the team came together for the last vigil and we used the ghost box and a gentleman called Steve come through. He said his name was Steve. I said, what year is it, Steve? And as clear as anything I've ever received from the ghost box, he said, 81. And I said, so it's 1981. He said, yes. After a long conversation, it turns out he's a basketball coach. So what I'm going to do next is I'm going to go to the historical society that's close to Viola. I think it may have been Springfield County, but I'd have to check on that. But ultimately, you go to the yearbook, right? You find the yearbook for 1981 for that score, and you look through, and you find Steve, the basketball coach. This is where the history is tying everything together in a nice, neat bow. You've got the psychic doing the work. That then gets backed up by two or three bits of evidence all at the same time from the equipment. So the equipment basically backs up the psychic and it all corroborates one another and then you tie it up with a nice neat bow because you do the historical research and find these people existed these people were really there at that time it's very difficult if someone wants to argue that an afterlife doesn't exist how do you argue with that that's right and and go on go on oh i was gonna say i remember walking around with you looking at the building you were walking into an area, would, would you call it the anteroom to the boiler? And all of a sudden you said, whoa, did you see that? 
Oh, I'd forgotten. So much had happened. Yeah, yeah. We were doing the walkthrough, yeah. and I was the first person to walk in the anteroom before you got to the boiler of the school. And I walked into the room, and I saw a figure run from left to right across the front of me. It looked... Do you remember in the Predator film where the Predator disguises himself? So he's kind of see-through, but it's kind of a little bit watery, and you can kind of see roughly where he is. It looked like that. Yeah. It looked like a humanoid figure disguising itself. It was see-through, but you could see the outline, and it ran from left to right across the room. Yeah. Remarkable. <laughs> you turned around and looked at me, and I was like, oh, <laughs> no, I didn't. I'm sorry. <laughs> Next time. You missed it. Too know, late. Flies are on it. So much evidence to go through. It's going to take weeks to go through all of this stuff. But we'll play a few EVPs for you next week. But I know how much people like listening to our adventures and where we happen to be. We have a show. It is called More Questions Than Answers. It's the most popular paranormal quiz show anywhere in the world. We run into the round that is Ghosts and Hauntings. The Merry Cemetery is a cemetery in the village of Sapanta, Romania, that is famous not just in Romania, but all over the world for its one-of-a-kind way of looking upon death. Not as a sad event, but as a celebration of a life that ended. That's Day of the Dead, of course, isn't it? Of course. That's a celebration of the dead. It is famous for its colourful tombstones with naive paintings describing, in an original and poetic manner, the people who were buried there as well as scenes from their lives. A man by the name of Stan Patras, a woodworker, a poet and a painter born in 1908, began the tradition of these crosses back in 1935. And after his death in 1977, his work was carried on by one of his apprentices, Dimitri Pop. Patras carved the crosses out of oak and painted them blue, sprinkling in bits of colour like red, yellow or black. He painted the crosses in order to protect them from the rain and the frost, thus making them last longer. In the upper part, there is a painting that depicts a person who passed away in a colourful and dynamic scene of his or her life. Their portrait could not have been that good, could it, if it then says in his or her life. (laughs) Although this is Romania, to be fair. Underneath, there is a poem. Patras would usually write these little poems himself after getting to know the deceased through their family. As of the 1960s, more than 800 of such oak wood crosses came into sight. The unusual feature of this cemetery is that it diverges from a prevalent belief culturally shared within European societies, a belief that views death as something indelibly solemn. Connections with the local Dacian culture have been made, the tribes which inhabited Romania's territory long before the Roman invasion. They believe that death is just a gate to eternal happiness, a chance to meet Zamolsex, their supreme god. Wasn't he in Ghostbusters, that character? I think so. I think he was. Stan Patras carved the crosses until his death in 1977. This is his tombstone. I won't read this all out, but this is the poem on his tombstone. I'll give you a small flavour because it does go on somewhat. Cool. Since I was a little boy, I was known as Stan Patras. Listen to me, fellows. There are no lies in what I am going to say. All along my life, I meant no harm to anyone, but did good as much as I could to anyone who asked. 
I guess it sounds better in Romanian, I'm thinking. It probably, <laughs> it it probably it rhymes or, in Romanian. Yeah. He's got a whole <laughs> poem here that he carved onto his gravestone, so it does go on. He After actually he goes died. on. He goes on to talk about... <laughs> <laughs> I completely missed that. What did I miss? I said after he died, he carved after it. After he died. The last thing you want to see in a gravestone, if you're walking through at three o'clock in the morning, is someone hammering with a chisel and then saying, they spelt my name wrong. <laughs> he actually goes on to talk about not disturbing his mother-in-law because he doesn't want her to come back in spirit and torment him. <laughs> Excellent. It's true, I tell you. There are many, many wondrous things written on tombstones. Do you remember Loon Lake Cemetery in Jackson County? Yes. In the southern mm-hmm. part of Minnesota on the right. Iowa border. There's a cemetery there. It's a pioneer cemetery. No one's been buried there since the 1920s. It's all overgrown. But there is a legend that three witches are buried out there. One in particular called Mary Jane Terwilliger. Right. She died in 1880. A Megadeth actually wrote a song. The bass player for Megadeth and the founder of Megadeth the heavy metal band is Dave Ellefson and he wrote a song about Mary Jane's death the witch that died in Loon Lake Cemetery she has the following written on her gravestone this is very creepy but this is why they think there's a curse if you jump over her grave or walk over her grave you get cursed this is what's written on her gravestone it says kind friends beware as you pass by as you are now so once was I as I am now, so you must be. Prepare, therefore, to follow me. I love it. It's great, isn't it? It's nothing to do with a witch's curse. This is a very common poem that was around yes. yeah. on practically every gravestone on the eastern coast of America, in colonial America, in Boston and places like that. It's actually from the 13th century. Sure. That poem is written on the grave or the sarcophagus of the Black Prince in Canterbury Cathedral, dating back to the early medieval period. So it's nothing to do with the witch's curse. She actually died of diphtheria, this woman. But this is Mm. this is the urban legend, which is quite fun, I guess. But it's not a curse. That was a gravestone you could buy from Sears and Roebuck for three dollars. Back in the pioneer days, if you was in a small town or a small village, there was no stonemason. There was no way of getting granite. There was no way of making tombstones. So in the catalogue for three dollars it would arrive at your door with the inscriptions that you wanted on it all wrapped up in straw and in a crate ready to go. That's how people got their gravestones back in the day. It's a Sears and Roebuck gravestone, would nice. you believe? One more while we're on the subject. Boot Hill in Arizona. I have okay. to read this out. The very, very famous Boot Hill, full of gunslingers that were too slow on the draw. Okay. okay. It says, here lies Lester Moore, four slugs from a forty-four, no less no more (laughs) it's great isn't it so here's the question going around the room what would you have written on your gravestone any thoughts anyone want to chip in heather Uh, i am blank never thought that you're gonna have a blank gravestone like etch a sketch you just turn up and write your own a chalkboard you You write your own you write your own too lazy (laughs) too lazy to think of anything there you go perfect michelle any thoughts there i have it all planned out you've got it all planned out wow what are you looking at? What are you looking at? Nice. <laughs> Attitude when she's dead. Fantastic. Spike Milligan, a very famous comedian from Britain, has written on his gravestone, I told you I was ill. <laughs> That's a good one. I was thinking something along the lines of Adrian Lee, be interested and interesting. That's not the end of the world. Or, here lies Adrian Lee, he was resourceful. Short and sweet. 
Perfect. That's exactly what wow. I want. Points for me. I'm going to give myself <laughs> nice. two glorious points to start the show. Ooh. Heather, what have you got for me tonight in the round of ghosts and hauntings? Well, I have investigators are appealing to the poltergeist family. The case of the mother and son driven from their home by a ghost has been continuing to generate interest. Earlier this week, the news broke that a family in South Lancashire... That'll do. That's close enough. Something like that. Lincolnshire, possibly. (laughs) Anyway, they were from Scotland, had been driven from their home after experiencing ongoing paranormal disturbances. Lanarkshire. Yeah, that's it. Okay, in Scotland. Okay, that makes more sense. (laughs) Took me a couple of minutes. What's I'll just the matter? Can't you follow along? Fill in the gaps. Well, when you mentioned Scotland, I knew that was the enemy, and it's always worth knowing your enemy. Well, there isn't you it? go. That's why I weed women's magazines. Oh. <laughs> oh. Police attending the scene, who were initially skeptical, soon changed their minds when they witnessed items being thrown around and the lights turning on and off by themselves. Creepy. The incident has since attracted the attention of numerous investigators, researchers, and even psychics who have expressed an interest in offering assistance to the family. Scottish psychic medium Ali Key and his wife Sadie, who were together regularly conducting paranormal investigations have drawn comparisons between this and the 1977 Enfield poltergeist case. That was the film that they had out recently, The Conjuring 2? I think so, yeah. Yeah. Very famous poltergeist case was covered by the BBC News. Very forward thinking of the BBC in 1977. There was an elderly gentleman whose name escapes me turned up with a tape recorder. Do you have the old fashioned ones where you press play and record and the tape goes round? Interesting stuff, I tell you. Very famous case, the 1977 Enfield poltergeist. Yeah, Enfield in North London. The only thing that's ever happened in Enfield of any interest (laughs) ever in the history of Britain. Local police, who have also expressed a keen interest in the case, allegedly called in the Catholic Church to bless the house and have since been investigating the history of the property. Whether an explanation for the phenomenon can be found, however remains to be seen. Only Professor Hans Zarkov, formerly of NASA, has provided any explanation. <laughs> Points for being informative, Miss Morris. You yay. shall have two this evening. How's that to start I'm with? on the plus side. You are. <laughs> Never a truer word has ever been said. Losing a loved one is always heartbreaking, but made harder by the knowledge you will never see that special person again. So they claim. The British soap actress Kim Marsh told how she was having dinner when banging noises and the sound of a child crying came from her five-year-old daughter's Polly's bedroom upstairs. When she investigated, she found Polly fast asleep and instantly knew it was her son Archie, who died just after being born 18 weeks premature seven years ago, coming to say hello. Kim, who made the spooky revelation on TV's Loose Women, said it was exactly Archie's birth minute and there was no other possible explanation for it. It was a bit weird, but I felt comfort from it. Kim Forty is by no means the only person to say they have felt the presence of a loved one from beyond the grave, known as an after-death communication. Here are several people's similar experiences. Walking through her front door, Jackie Roberts went to check if she'd had any messages why she'd been out. She pressed play on her answering machine and the first recording was her husband Wynne simply saying, How are you? before the line went dead. But Wynne had died almost two years earlier, aged 70, just ten weeks before their golden wedding. 
Jackie says I just burst into tears. There was no mistake in his voice. I was stunned. How can someone who has been dead for two years contact me on the phone? It wasn't an old message. I wonder if he reversed the charges. That would be expensive, wouldn't it, I'm guessing? <laughs> Friends and colleagues of my husband all confirmed without me prompting them that that was his voice. That's creepy, right? It is a little bit. One more. Just We've got a bit of time. Let me do one more. Patricia Judge was just five when her mum died of cancer, but she still appears in her daughter's hour of need. The first time Patricia saw the ghost of her mother was two or three years after her death. Patricia, now 46, recalls one day my dad brought a woman home and told me she was my new mum. I was really excited at first, but she took an instant dislike to me. I've always been headstrong and I refuse to call her mum. That day she told me to clean up the table. I was being stubborn and I wouldn't do it. My dad was shouting at me and I began to cry. I then saw my mum sitting in an armchair in the corner of the room. She looked real and I was so happy because I thought she had come back. I was young so I didn't really understand about death. I pointed to her and said to dad, there's my mum. He looked shocked. My stepmom shouted, see I told you she was nothing but trouble. I ran to my room and I was sobbing. Then I felt the bed go down next to me as if someone had sat down. I felt arms around me and someone patting my arm. I will never forget that feeling. I know she came back to comfort me. Aww. Amazing stories. Kim Marsh is a very famous soap actor in Britain on Coronation Street. But she used to be in a <gasps> pop group back in the 1990s. I can't remember the name of the group. I'm sure it will come to me. Pop music's not my thing, you know. <laughs> I shall give myself points <laughs> for being interesting. I am now on four. Michelle, what have you got mm. for me tonight in the round of Ghosts and Hauntings? I have girl students leave hostel over fear of ghosts in Oshida's Koraput. In less than a month, over 20 girl students of a government-run school in Oshida's Koraput district have left their hostel over fear of ghosts in the hostel. About six girls of a government-run residential school in Katlapadar fell unconscious after experiencing paranormal activities in the past couple of days, following which the panic-stricken students left the hostel for their homes. I saw a completely white body having long hair with one side of the face charred. She told me to go back to her as I am her daughter, a panicky student said. While playing in the art room, I realized someone was coming and standing on my back, another inmate expressed. Was it Yoda? Was it like Luke Skywalker? I like Yoda how they call inmate. Great. <laughs> what are they doing with an art room in a hostel? That's what I want to know. Gotta keep them occupied. Apparently. I took charge from this in February. I was unaware of any ghost in the hostel. In the last 20 days or so, a girl fell unconscious and then more girls fell unconscious, Pratima Mahara, the warden of the hostel, said. The managing committee is worried over the turn of events. The officials have been putting in efforts to create awareness among the students about superstitions. Meanwhile, pujas are being performed near the hostel premises to get rid of any evil powers. Yay! Yay! Have you ever stayed in a hostel? Some of them are quite grim, I have to say. If we had another hour, I'd talk about hosteling. Hosteling? Hosteling. That brings to the end the round of Ghosts and Hauntings. I'm on four, Heather's on four, Michelle is on two. As we move into the round, that is UFOs and cryptozoology. It's green men and hairy beasties. A holidaymaker reckons she has captured the Loch Ness Monster on camera. Gobsmacked Cully Tullith, 28. That's a great word, isn't it? 
gobsmacked. Gobsmacked. Yeah. We need to use that more often. Was having lunch on the balcony of her holiday let when she saw a mysterious ripple on the surface. Her eyes popped out of her head as she grabbed her camera to capture a few snaps. Do your eyes pop out of your head when you see a monster? I haven't seen one. A mammoth? I definitely haven't seen well, one. I feel sorry for you. <laughs> the mother of three said, I was having my lunch on the balcony looking over Loch Ness, and all of a sudden I saw this blue thing swimming across the water. I wasn't scared, but my eyes popped out of my face. There's a lot of popping business going on There's here, isn't popping. there? It's like, Oh, sorry, madam, one happened to pop down your cleavage. Can I get that back? I quickly took to my phone and started snapping away. I tried to zoom in and get a better view, but then it just disappeared. Isn't that always the way? It is. It looks so much like the Loch Ness Monster. How she can tell that with her eyes rolling around the floor and popping out, I have no idea. Callie, a housekeeper from Fife, was on holiday at Loch Ness with her husband and three children. And all the while, she never saw a monster. I can't stop thinking about it, she added. It's not often you see a monster while on holiday. You should go to Miami around spring break. If you want to see your own eyes pop out of your head, then you can go to our Facebook site. More questions and answers where the photograph of the Loch Ness Monster has been posted for your perusal. Miss Morris, what have you got for me tonight in the round of UFOs and cryptozoology? Speaking of mammoths. Speaking of mammoths. Ooh. Yeah. Mammoths could be granted a special protected status to stop their tusks being used as an ivory source. Did you know that? Yes. How do you how do you protect a species? Did you know it? It's a bit late, isn't it? Because ex- <laughs> you can't protect a species. That's well, they're ex- coming back. You know that. You've been watching too much Jurassic Park. That's your trouble. Oh. It is generally well established that hunting down elephants for their ivory is illegal. But did you know that digging up woolly mammoths from the tundra and harvesting their tusks is not? I didn't even know this was a practice. Mm-hmm. I didn't How do you know go either. about finding one buried in the snow? How do you even look for one? Do they have like geothermic or kind of um, geophysical equipment? You got me. There is a surprisingly large quantity of dead mammoths lying under the permafrost, up to 150 million of them according to recent estimates so it's not so silly now is it that last week i said i wanted woolly mammoth underwear because i live in minnesota <laughs> that could become a reality i could by the end of this year have woolly mammoth knickers that'd be warm wouldn't it i'm not even gonna go there no, i don't want to no. lose any more points no you're actually doing very well at the moment you're on a resplendent four which is unprecedented territory for you well your they- eyes will be popping out of your head in a minute Oh, there goes one. (laughs) Like a pickled onion rolling around. Well, they think that there is more than enough to keep the ivory trade going. No legal restrictions currently exist for the trading of mammoth ivory. And for years, it has been seen as an ethical alternative to elephant ivory, given that mammoths went extinct several millennia ago. I was going to say, if you're slaughtering elephants, which are an endangered species... Why mm-hmm. would it not be okay to go looking for ivory from creatures that are already dead? I don't know, but they're going to try protecting them. All this could soon be set to change, however, as authorities are planning to assign the woolly mammoth to a protected status, which would make trading in mammoth ivory illegal. So don't do it, folks. No, don't go looking for woolly mammoths in snowy areas. Just right? get some of that fur, because Adrian needs some underoos. Yes, I'm going to wear. I'm going to wear. <laughs> Woolly mammoth underwear. I can see it coming now. Don't worry about the tusk. 
No. <laughs> Black holes <laughs> could be back doors to other regions of the universe. Oh, no. no Have no, you got a black hole no. in? No, okay. No. In your back door? No. However, it is unlikely anyone passing through one of these gateways would survive. Uh, <laughs> That's true. First, they would be spaghettified, stretched out like a strand of pasta by the black hole's immense gravity. I saw copper wire made once by two attorneys fighting over a penny. Once, <laughs> once on the other side of the door, the traveller would be compacted back to normal size but could not count on being restored back to life. Black holes are places where matter has been squashed to such a density by gravity that the normal laws of physics break down. You kind of change the laws of physics. The next oh. theory, best Pakistani accent was that. Mm. The new theory rejects the view that the centre of the black hole space-time curves to an infinite point known as singularity, and all matter is destroyed. In the movie Interstellar, a team of astronauts travel through a wormhole in search of a new home for humanity. Dr. Gonzalo Olmo from the University of Valencia in Spain said, our theory naturally resolves several problems in the interpretation of electrically charged black holes. A hypothetical traveller entering the black hole could be stretched thin enough to fit through the wormhole, like a strand of cotton threaded through the eye of a needle. Passing through the eye of a needle, we need camel astronauts. This is where we are. A camel yep. astronaut passing through the eye of a needle. Camels don't need to drink for long periods of time. They don't right. need to eat. No. You could send them up in a rocket with very limited supplies. Yep. We could have a camel passing through the eye of a needle black hole. It says it all in the Bible. Yep. I think a camel should be the first animal to go through, is my advice. Excellent. Michelle, what have you got for me tonight in the round of <laughs> UFOs and cryptozoology? Did you know that John Lennon spotted a UFO while living in New York City? This is no. the current news, is it? Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> go for it. Today marks 42 years to the day the Liverpudlians spotted the unidentified flying object soaring through the sky. Of course, he never dabbled in drugs or anything like no. that. No, never touched them. On August 26th, 1974, Lennon walked out onto his balcony with his assistant, Mary Peng, and saw a saucer fly over the East River. He claimed to have watched it turn right at the United Nations building, turn left, and then go down the river. The unexplained craft was dome-shaped with a bright red light pulsating on the top, he said. It definitely wasn't a helicopter, he added. Do you think he imagined it? Oh. Oh. I'm on fire. God. The close <laughs> encounter had such a profound effect on the star, he referred to it on the cover of his album, Walls and Bridges, released the same year. Wow. Yeah. Who knew? Not me. <laughs> Apparently. <laughs> we even called the police. That's how excited we were. And they told us to keep calm and that others had seen it too. Miss Peng later described how the pair rang the police and the New York Daily News to report the sighting, and they were told that seven others had seen the mystery craft too. The pair tried to snap pictures of the UFO, but all came back overexposed, she said. Aww. There's nothing worse than being overexposed, is there? No, apparently not. <laughs> that brings to I the end think of the of round. Worse things. You can think of worse things than being overexposed. Yeah. Okay, we'll share that for another time. Mm -hmm. That brings to the end of the round: cryptozoology and UFOs. I'm on six. Michelle's on four, and Heather is also on 
four. This is amazing. I don't think we've got to this part of the show before and had every single person on positive integers. Yeah. Hmm. Well, mainly you, to be honest. I just, <laughs> Michelle and saying? myself doing her okay. We move into the round that is the strange and the bizarre. It's the stories from around the world that are too strange, too bizarre, not to read out live on air, but don't fit easily into any other category. Police have accused Joshua Lee Long, 26, of stealing a human brain that he used for drug use. He has been charged with the misdemeanor abuse of a corpse. When police showed up at a vacant trailer home in Penn Township, Pennsylvania last month, neighbor Pat Beck was worried something might be wrong. Their presence seemed even more mysterious when Beck saw an investigator remove a box from the home and place it in a police vehicle. Several weeks later, a reporter told Beck what was inside that box, a human brain. It just scares me to death, a terrified Beck told the station. I didn't think they were that kind of people, but nowadays, (laughs) you never know. Police told the station that the brain was found beneath a porch where it was kept inside a Walmart shopping bag. Excellent. (laughs) You can get those at Walmart. They're on clearance. They are. (laughs) I'm guessing in Pennsylvania, though, that's not a big seller. (laughs) They don't don't even bother to stock them in Texas or Florida. (laughs) It even had a name. Abby Normal. Fred Abby. (laughs) (laughs) Abby Normal. Freddy. Freddy the Brain. Freddy the Should Brain. Have been Pinky and the Brain. Oh, yeah. Police say the name was given to the Brain by Joshua Lee Long, who is already incarcerated by Cumberland County in connection with a string of burglaries in Pennsylvania. Police think the Brain was also stolen. From where? From what? Brains are us, apparently. <laughs> or Brain Hut, if that's shut. Oh. Cumberland County Coroner Charlie Hall has confirmed the brain is belonging to an adult human oh that's nice the defendant related that he knew it was illegal to have the brain and that he and another man would spray the embalming fluid on weed to get high high on brain juice ladies and gentlemen the 26 year old long currently at cumberland county police in lieu of a hundred thousand dollar bail faces new charges in connection with the stolen brain misdemeanor abuse of a corpse and conspiracy to commit abuse of a corpse embalming fluid is the compound of formaldehyde methanol ethanol and other solvents while authorities may have encountered formaldehyde laced marijuana using a dead person's brain for drug purposes shocked some investigators this is one of those situations where i think a lot of guys were surprised this is a case where two brains are obviously better than one but you will lose a whole week of your entire life Uh. remember americans say no to brains i thought they already did yes they're following trump (laughs) as we speak michelle what have you got for me tonight in the round of the strange and the bizarre i have a mutt that turned mayor in small town minnesota yay yay small town Mm, minnesota been there done that bought the t-shirt what the mutt no don't know her (laughs) never seen her before if she says she's been with me she's a liar (laughs) this is in cormorant minnesota elections can be a real zoo and a small town in western Minnesota proved it especially true on Saturday. There's excitement in the air for the six annual Cormorant Days. Classic cars, char- charcoal grilling, and chainsaw carvings 
bring hundreds to the small Minnesota town. Hundreds. Mm. Hundreds. There was almost hundreds. 204 people there that weekend. <laughs> you could barely get down Main Street. <laughs> but the top dog on Saturday is none other than Duke. What's so special about this nine-year-old Great Pyrenees? He's no mutt. He's the mayor. Nice. He was the most qualified. (laughs) He's the only dog that's been elected mayor in America. He was the only dog that didn't have a background. I'm surprised by that. You think other dogs should have been elected, should you? Yeah. By now. Yeah. He was the only dog that hadn't lied about his emails or threatened to have his other candidates shot. And he didn't have a toupee. No, so he won by default. Yeah. See how that works. Hmm. Three years ago, it happened by accident. Because it was a write-in vote. <laughs> now get this. I'm not sure how legal this is, but you pay a dollar and you can vote. <laughs> what if you pay $10? <laughs> oh, wow. We managed to squeeze the snorting right at the end of the show. Look at that. Points to be had. The famous Michelle <laughs> Corey snort. He's now actually at the end of his second term. And... <laughs> The town's been prospering. It's never yes, had so much yes. work, is, economy. Is that in dog years? <laughs> <laughs> By the way, I'm going to have Michelle snort on my ring. Ring, 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 ring phone. <laughs> Hang on, Michelle's coming through. <laughs> Great. Locals say the Harry Honcho has one of the highest <laughs> approval ratings in the country. <laughs> And he can't pass a lamppost. No. I don't know who would run against him because he's he's done such great things for the community. Great things. Duke was too busy with last-minute campaigning for an interview. (laughs) But his media people say the incumbent is more than ready for a third term. Oh, nice. joy. (laughs) We need this country run by a dog, you know. Everybody voted for Duke except for one person. Bitter. Bitter. Who voted for Duke's girlfriend, Lassie. (laughs) Great. (laughs) His first act after being reelected? Was to lick his balls. A nice victory pet. But tomorrow, it's work as usual. He's pretty busy working at the farm, said his owner. But mayor life can be pretty rough. Rough. Mm-hmm. Can you imagine if you went up against him and lost? It's bad enough losing in a presidential race or some sort of political election. Can you imagine you go up against a dog and finish second? What policies was he pushing? Where's his manifesto? Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Small town Minnesota. Miss Morris, you can bring the show to a conclusion in the round of The Strange and the Bizarre. Well, guess what? What? Go on. It's a secret. It's a secret. <gasps> Whisper it. Yeah. It's... The return of the Phantom Deli! That's my job. (laughs) That was... My gig. (laughs) Are you suggesting that the Phantom Turtler has a female assistant now? Like Batman and Batwoman? I think so. Supergirl, Mm -hmm. Superman... Yes. Okay. Yes, this I is am. the female. Yes. Phantom. <laughs> it's strenuous. It is strenuous. I need more fiber. <laughs> 
parents raise a stink about serial pooper targeting Virginia playground. Oh, <laughs> oh no. Yeah. Does he climb to the top of the swing or the, I the think slide? So. And just, well, it goes into detail. I'd go bit. right to the top of the slide as far as you can go. The spiral one that goes down? And I would see if I could write my name. I'd have the most fun trying to dot. In a turd? Dot, what? Dot it's the supposed eye. to roll down like dice. Like dice? <laughs> <laughs> I'm writing my name at this stage and having trouble dotting the eye in Adrian. <laughs> that requires clenching to get the eye. If you're, if you're trying to wind one down from the top of a slide by defecation and you're writing your name, have you any idea how difficult it is dotting the eye? You have to pinch it off. Just saying. <sighs> Terrible. At least it's in my own handwriting. Oh, what? what? <laughs> <laughs> Why would your hand be down there? It's a long story. <laughs> <laughs> We've got minutes left, Miss Morris. Quick, right, you've right. got a chance of snatching defeat from the jaws of victory. Parents in Virginia town are complaining of the serial pooper who has defiled a public park's playground equipment with defecation on multiple occasions. It's just not one. It's number two. (laughs) (laughs) The South Arlington parents said human feces have been found on the Fort Bernard Park playground at least four to five times this year, with two of the occasions occurring during the past two weeks. Oh, no. Uh, He's on a run. There's a... Oh, no. There's a spate. (laughs) A phantom turdler. This is uh, terrible. The parents said Arlington Parks and Recreation officials have come to clean up the messes, but they sometimes leave some behind. I couldn't do it. Well, you how know, many it, is he making? Like, a lot. How do you know it's a he? We get the female. <laughs> <laughs> when I'm going, I need a bit of peace and quiet. I need to focus on the job in hand. I don't know how people can go just in public in the I middle think, of a playground. I think there's more than one. It would it'd poke its head back up. They poop around the playground equipment, not even off to the side or in the bushes, and then they cover up their feces with a shirt so that some <laughs> of <What? laughs> So you're looking for a shirtless man at this point, aren't you? Yep. The phantom turdler is topless. So that some unsuspecting child or parent can pick it up and get a fecal surprise. Oh. Surprise! I always imagined the Phantom Turdler would have a giant PT written on his chest like Superman. Now I find out he's topless. Well, it it they come to pick it up and it leaves smears all no. over. This and is disgusting, by the way. I know. This is terrible. I know. It's in a, a playground. In a playground. So Arlington Parks and Recreation officials said the playground has been disinfected after the discovery of each excrement, <laughs> which oh, are believed to have been dropped under the cover of night. Darkness. We know the Phantom Turtler does his best work at night. Yes. That's why he's the Phantom, isn't it? Yes. He's the Phantom Turtler! You're not getting that gig. It's mine. (laughs) (laughs) Just saying, I enjoy that too much. You're getting this one-off go, is all we're saying. We now reach the final round, which means you have now found us in our archives. So well done you for being tech savvy. This is the round we call Not For Your Mother that we can't read out live on air for fear of getting a big fine or being removed. It's the round where your mother needs to be removed from the room if she's easily offended. 
A nudist swimming in a lake was left in agony after an angler managed to catch him on a fishing hook through the penis. Oh, no, the penis. One-eyed pike, sir. (laughs) Herbert Fend first thought he had got stuck in some water plants but soon realised that it was far too painful to be just weeds. When he put his hands down towards his legs, he felt the line in the hook and realised he'd been pierced through the penis. The incident happened at the Kaisersee, a lake in the Bavarian city of Augsburg in Germany. The lake is a popular spot for nude recreation, which is a well-accepted pastime in Germany. This took me by surprise when I visited Germany. Have I told you about the time I went to the park in Munich? No. I went and got a sandwich can of coke thought i'll have a nice afternoon in the park i'm in munich went to the english garden went to the park every single person not a stitch of clothing nothing nada big german women walking by not a stitch of clothes nothing walking around the park naked in the buff two rather hefty german women both had a lot of wood outside their house as they (laughs) say in germany And they made an Adrian sandwich? No, they didn't. (laughs) As the French would say, they had the world on their balcony. A couple of Fräuleins there from southern Bavaria asked me if I had a light for their cigarette. That's the first time in my life I wish I smoked. (laughs) And I can see why they asked me for a light. There was no way they could carry one around. Uh. Fed was also swimming naked in the lake when a fisherman mistakenly caught him on the end of his line. Fence said, I cried out to the fisherman ashore, shouting, do not pull, do not pull. I was terrified he was going to reel me in. Tug it hard and set the hook, sir. Uh. The unlucky swimmer quickly went ashore where the hook was found to be firmly embedded in his manhood. As the hook could not be removed, the fisherman had to cut the line. With the fishing hook still pierced through his penis, Fent then cycled back home. What? Where he went by car to the emergency room of the local hospital. He cycled back home what? with a fishing hook through Germans his are tough. twig. Oh. Luckily for Hent, the doctors were able to remove the fishing hook and took care of the wound. He is now not allowed to swim or take a shower for a full week. Shame he's not French. That would have been easier. Oh, we have French listeners. And they're tuning off as we speak. (laughs) But he's expected to make a full recovery soon. Fent, who used an alias out of fear of being ridiculed, explained the fisherman had little sympathy for his situation. Now, this week online, I posted this story on Facebook. Mm. I wrote the sentence, which was, any funny comments you wish to add to this story, I will read out on air. Richard posted, deadliest crotch. Nice. Martin, angling for a fish and caught a worm. Nice. Patrick wrote, what's that got to do with the paranormal? Nice. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely nothing. James said, at first glance, they may look alike. Bob says the fish have found a way to bait and catch humans. And finally, Trish has written, bait and switch. Although I think bait and tackle probably works. Better. So my question is, go on. Who do you think lied about the size? Was it the fisherman? Oh. Or was it the catch? Who lied about the size? Do you reckon? Both. I caught one this big. <laughs> there you go. He's got it in a frame above the fireplace. Or I was this big. <laughs> Perhaps he was. It was a minnow. 
that takes some doing. I actually got caught by a fish hook once when I was a little boy. I was walking across a bridge with my granddad, fully clothed on my ad at this point, but a gentleman was fishing in the canal in London, Regent's Canal below, and he threw his mm. f- fishing rod back, and I was walking above the bridge, and the hook got stuck on my anorak, and I could see the little maggot, and the guy was pulling, and my anorak was... So that has happened oh. to me, just not naked and in Germany. Oh, okay. In fact, nothing similar at all in many respects. Not really. <laughs> nothing not really. at all. Not a thing. Mm. Michelle, what have you got for me tonight in the round of Not For Your Mother? Ohio man found acting like a gorilla and touching himself inappropriately. Do Yay! Go- do gorillas do this? I've n- I'm not an expert on gorillas. Do I'm gorillas touch themselves on it inappropriately? In the mist. Uh, in the I'm mist, no they do. I'm good all, but I'm... <laughs> you can get away with it if you're doing it in the mist, can't you? <laughs> yep. There was many a good fiddle had in a foggy night in London, I tell you. What was that? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> this is from Warren, Ohio. They have a lot of gorillas in Ohio, do they? In Just the mist. people that try and act like them. He's been voted for mayor three times, apparently. Yeah. <laughs> Police arrested a man who was acting like a gorilla and touching himself inappropriately at the Giant Eagle Plaza in Warren, Ohio. Officers were called to the scene on reports of two white males who were running around the parking lot and taking off their clothes. Nice. Mm-hmm. Ohio seems to be the place to be then, apparently. Mm. Not just for potatoes. Timothy Cook, 32, of Levittsburg, entered the nearby license bureau. Woodwork teacher. <laughs> waved his arms around, excited the business, and began masturbating Exc- on the sidewalk. Oh. Excited the business? Yeah. Yes, they got oh, excited. His business. His business. Monkey oh. business, madam. The business. Monkey business. Oh, the license bureau then locked its doors due to safety concerns. <laughs> yeah, they could have had someone's eye out. Oh. Safety concerns. Oh. By the time the police officers arrived, they said they found Cook sweating profusely in the parking lot. It was a hot day. Hardened criminal. That's Acting right. like a gorilla. <laughs> squatting on all fours, punching the blacktop, jumping up and down. Throwing and s- feces. Yes. Eating a banana. Screaming non-coherently and growling. Oh, growling. That doesn't fit. Everything else we mentioned fits. I don't know what gorillas do. I don't know why you're looking at me as if I'm an expert on gorillas. I've seen a couple at the zoo. <laughs> I've never dated one. I've never had Are one you as sure? a friend. I'm sure I would have remembered. Another officer arrived to help detain Cook, who did not resist arrest. They called for an ambulance due to his erratic behavior, and according to the police report, the ambulance administered Narcon to Cook for an apparent overdose. He was then taken to Trumbull Memorial Hospital. Officers found that Cook has an outstanding warrant for drug possession, but due to manpower shortages, the warrant is still active. Oh. Terrible times. Yeah. Acting like a gorilla, of all things to pick. Yeah, could have been anything. Could have been anything. Yeah, why a gorilla? Chimpanzee. No one knows. More Maybe questions than answers. Maybe just saw Tarzan. I don't know. It's That's possible. a chimpanzee. Never mind. Yes. That's a chimpanzee. That's a diff- <laughs> Never mind. Different species, Michelle. Miss <laughs> <laughs> Morris, what have you got for me finally in the round of Not For Your Mother? Well, I have a son-in-law. He said he knew it was mom and not his wife in bed. No. Yep. No, yep, it's true. Are we can have a guess what. I'm st- playing the nope card on this one. What state this is in? 
I can't even tell you because I don't know. You don't know what so you've not done any research. I couldn't read the name, so I was just like, eh. <laughs> Whatever. Fair enough. <laughs> wow. This is the level of research that Miss Morris is going into. <laughs> for you, ladies and gentlemen, in the round of not for your mother. <laughs> <laughs> now remove his funny bone. <laughs> you owe me two hundred dollars. <laughs> It seems no one will ever know the exact details of what happened in the early hours of the morning when a man was caught with his pants down in bed with his mother-in-law. No, no. His mother-in-law. His mother-in-law. That's not as bad. This is so not Springer. As, bad as your mother. So Springer. It is a bit Jerry, isn't it? Yeah. They were both. Your tits feel just like your daughter's. Things, things not to say on a date. Oh, they were both so inebriated that neither can remember how they ended up in bed together. The son-in-law was charged with sexual assault after the incident, but the charges were withdrawn. Earlier, he said he thought he was withdrawn. in bed with his wife, who was 22. <laughs> so to be fair, the mother-in-law could, in theory... Be around 40, 39. That's possible. Something like that, maybe. In the settlement agreement, the son-in-law, 31, states, I am sorry. We were all under the influence of alcohol. I cannot remember what happened. So he could be closer. He could be closer to his mother-in-law's age than his wife's age, in theory. Pretty much. There's about a 10-year difference or a nine-year, yeah. Mm -hmm. Not that I'm justifying this for him, but, you know, I'm just trying to get the story straight. Well, I'm going to help you with that a little bit. I beg my mother-in-law's forgiveness. The mother-in-law, 50, states... Okay. Okay. Computer says... My theory uh, is... (laughs) I can't remember what happened. We are family, and I am willing to forgive him. family... (laughs) I don't I, think that's quite what that song meant, though, to be honest. She said... Keep it in the family. <laughs> I don't want him to be prosecuted. I just want him to be reprimanded. What would he be prosecuted for? What's he done wrong? Sexual assault. Taking oh. advantage of old mom-in-law. What if she agreed to sack. it? If she said okay, or they were both inebriated, how's he taking advantage? They Neither one of them know what okay. happened or They've who did who or Dad something. Dad is drunk. Someone must have called the police, though. Someone must have. Yes. I don't... Maybe I'm it was the, the wife. wife. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the agreement includes a warning to the man that he will be prosecuted if he ever commits a similar offense with old ma-in-law. You know, get a little some of your, how's your father? How's your father with yeah. your mother-in-law? <laughs> right. Well, Network 24 spoke to the mother-in-law on Tuesday. Aren't you glad? I have her comments. When I used to be married and my mother-in-law came over, the mice would throw themselves on the traps. <laughs> <laughs> Well, the mother-in-law said, I can't be angry with him because I don't know what he did, she said. These things happen. (laughs) What? (laughs) But I've not been able to ride a bicycle. I am so not moving to that trailer park. (laughs) But she has cut down. Stay in the one you're in, Michelle. It's fine. Yeah, yeah. But she has. Good people. She has cut down on drinking anyway. Anyway, that's right. She told Network Twenty Four that on the night of the incident, the Hang family on, had. She's been... there on the TV with this. Yeah, you'd keep it quiet, wouldn't you? Yeah, yeah. She had a pleasant evening around the fire. <laughs> that was nice. Later, she went to bed in the spare room as her daughter and granddaughter were sleeping in her bedroom. So she says her son-in-law knew it was her in that bed and not her daughter when he got in. 
Just before daybreak, his wife found him on his knees in bed with the sleeping mother-in-law and asked him what he was doing. What are you doing? He I said, lost a contact lens. No, he said, I thought it was you. Oh, no. He allegedly said and jumped out of bed. The couple are now divorced. Ah. Oh. All's oh, well that ends well. well. So now he can date now the mother-in-law. Now he can date the mother-in-law. <laughs> Hurrah. He's single again. Good All's well that ends well. Science. Yes. Yeah. Well, all good things come to an end. So let us look at tonight's scores. In last place, with a K2 meter with a dead battery, it is Michelle, who oh, scored no. six points. I'm in second place with seven. But tonight, resplendent first place winner with the $33,000 IR camera is Heather, who scored well, eight. Well, well, then, chicken dinner! It was a mistake. <laughs> <laughs> Putting Heather Morris on the soundboard, wasn't it? Give her knobs to play with and you've lost everything. Do not fear, listener. We're back with a whole new bunch of stories next week at the same time. And I would love for you to join me for a fun and informative journey through the world of the paranormal. Strange, intriguing, bizarre and weird. Please tell your friends and family about the show and feel free to contact me anytime via my Facebook site. More questions and answers with Adrian Lee. You can also contact me on my Twitter account at Adrian underscore Lee underscore tips. And remember, we now do an extra 15 to 20 minutes of the show on our archives called Not For Your Mother, a round that we can't read out live on air. But if you go to SoundCloud.com and type in MQTA Radio, our shows are there for you in full. My gratitude and greatest thanks are extended to Lorna Hunter, Heather Morris, Tom Drainer, Michelle Corey, and Nathan Bush, and all of the International Paranormal Society at IntParanormal.net, and all of the show's sponsors, including the Lakes Area, Paranormal Interest Group, and MUFON of Minnesota. It just remains for me to say thank you for listening, and remember, be interested. Interesting.